Welcome to the Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts Arnold Segawa, Maggie Mutesi, and Dumi Jere, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa. Greetings, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to this week's episode of The Weekly Beat. My name is Dumi Jere, and I'm coming to you from Johannesburg in South Africa. I'm not alone, as always. My co-host is with me, the ever-so-gracious Maggie Mutesi coming to us from Nairobi in Kenya. Maggie, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Dume. How are you? I'm all right. We're grateful. We still have access to Twitter. I mean, there's so many things to be happy about. <laughs> <laughs> That's such a relief, yeah? <laughs> I see the cases in Kenya are also going up. About 400 cases in the last 24 hours. What does that mean? It's quite interesting, but it, it all comes back to what we've been saying even on this podcast to me, that the only way out of this is to get access to these vaccines. Because I think, yeah. and everybody's yeah. saying there might be a third wave. It's the same thing happening to neighboring mm-hmm. Uganda. You know, there's yeah. a, a bit of a silence and cases going down. And then out of the blue, when countries are out of lockdown, they just go back up. The only solution is having vaccines, honestly. True. How's that rollout going anyway in Kenya? Well, well, it's another story because... (laughs) Okay, let's leave it at that. (laughs) As you can imagine, we are all looking forward to, especially Kenya, they're looking forward to the Johnson & Johnson vaccines in South Africa. I should ask you, how is that faring? Because you guys actually hold what we need. Well, I think we need another whole podcast for that. Uh, (laughs) But for purposes of progress today, I think let's move on. (laughs) Um, Funny you were mentioning um, Twitter. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) um, And I see you were throwing a jab at our brothers and sisters in Nigeria. For those that are not uh, aware, um, the Nigerian government decided to ban Twitter, uh, the social media platform as a whole, because, uh, well... Firstly, Twitter temporarily suspended the account of the president uh, for violating the social media company's uh, abusive behavior policy. And uh, it seems as if the government then uh, retaliated by banning the whole platform in the whole country. If uh, Twitter violates Nigerian rules and regulations, why wouldn't Nigeria, you know, ban them if they also feel like they've... uh violated their rules and regulations, which is interesting. But I want to look at it in um, a business side of ways. We've seen that in the past yeah. 24 hours when the government announced the suspension, the country yeah. lost $6 million US dollars based on just this shutdown alone. And that's just 24 hours. And I think the commission also announced that uh, the loss is continuing at a rate of uh, 250000 US dollars every hour, which is a wow. lot of money. Nigeria has one of the biggest, mm-hmm. you know, uh, startup uh, companies in this entire continent. You can imagine how they are operating. So it's a big hit to businesses. Mm-hmm. But let's see how it turns mm-hmm. out. You know, for me, apart from the government itself announcing the ban on the platform mm-hmm. that they are banning. I know, that is funny. <laughs> right? <laughs> the whole thing to me, um, I think it's just, um, call it a stifling of freedom mm-hmm. of speech, really. Uh, because a lot of people depend on the platform for dissemination of information. And um, the government is saying, if we find out that you are tweeting, <laughs> even via VPN, as long as you're still in That's Nigeria. That's a crime. Exactly. That's a crime. Where is Nigeria heading? What lessons has it really learned? It seems as if none, hey? Um, because for the longest time, about four decades, Nigeria did not develop its uh, state refineries. 
And mm. today it finds itself in a very awkward position of being one of the world's biggest oil exporters, but also one of the world's biggest fuel importers. So you export the crude oil and then you import the processed fuel. Like it yeah. just doesn't make sense. And this is what we've always been talking about that, you know, as African countries, we got to wake up to some of these things and uh, mm. not create value outside only for us to re-import the value back. What's your take around um, their management of the oil revenues and so forth? You know, there's been this conversation. I don't know if the government wanted a stake in uh, Dangote's refinery, which we know is, is one of the biggest oil refineries globally. You know, it will be doing uh, 650,000 barrels per day. And wow. the government wanted a stake in that. Now, the question is, if over the past years, really, as a government, you've had these refineries that you haven't actually been able to develop, then what guarantees that having a stake in this other one won't really run it down? Because like you've mentioned, they're the biggest exporter of oil on the continent. And then I think they are eighth or ninth largest exporter uh, globally. But also they're the biggest importer, like gasoline and all those products uh, back to their country. I think they spend a couple of billions annually to just importing those products. I mean, the question is, where are they heading? What next for Nigeria? Because if we are looking at the refineries being built by the Dangotes, and of course, government is putting up other refineries, then there's a chance for them yeah. to be self-sufficient. But now, if you have government wanting a stake, and of course, it regulates a lot of things. One of the things that has been said about this industry, especially also these refineries being run down in the past, has been corruption and poor management. Mm -hmm. So is it time for governments to take their hand out of some of these big projects and let the private sector run off with that, then that can create the sustainability. Yeah. Here's my take on this thing. I feel that um, these countries are relying way too much on oil. Mm. And um, mm. if uh, the past year, 2020, was anything to go by and going forward, uh, the price of oil is only expected to go lower and lower. I mean, last year we had the price of um, of oil per barrel reaching lows of around $25, right? Mm -hmm. So gone are the days where oil was um, a big revenue in these countries, right? So the impact of what's going on in Nigeria is almost the same as um, all these other countries that rely on oil. So for example, Angola. I feel that these countries rely too much. When you look at their GDP and how much comes into their government coffers, way too much dependence is on the oil. For example, in Angola, 75% uh, of government revenues come from oil. Wow. In Egypt, the case is a bit different because oil is only 10% of government revenue, with the number climbing to 78% in South Sudan, 80% in Equatorial Guinea. For example, now when you go to the Gulf states like Qatar, Qatar is already diversifying its economy by building up massive cash reserves. Even Saudi Absolutely. Arabia, where, for example, it costs about $6 for a barrel to get out of the ground. They have had to make cuts. VAT has been tripled to 15% just to increase government revenue. Yet our Afro states that depend on this uh, oil industry, they don't seem to be diversifying enough. And they are headed for disaster once these prices keep on dropping and dropping and dropping because at the end of the day you're going to have a situation where 30 percent of your national budget is going to disappear because mm. the price has gone down 
So to me, it feels like a ticking time bomb. It feels like they're all sitting ducks unless they begin to radically transform their economies and move them away from depending on oil to other things. Mm. And, you know, you, you've put it uh, quite well, especially for Angola. If we take a step back and look at Angola before oil exploration, that's in the 50s and 60s, mm. it was the fourth yeah, yeah. largest export of coffee in the world. And it was also the largest wow. producers of foodstuffs in sub-Saharan Africa. And when you actually read about it, private this. consumption was at 70%. It was basically not just an oil economy. And I think all of us has had this line of resources could be a curse if not well-managed properly because you've talked mm, about mm, the mm. commodity prices that fall each and every other day. We've seen what COVID-19 has done, especially in the past two years, mm, mm. Um, true, true. where there's absolutely no trade. So yeah. it's a ticking bomb. They've got to diversify. This is something um, the IMF, the World Bank, mm, every mm. institution has advised, especially resource-rich countries in Africa, and get back to looking at other ways to rely on like agriculture. But imagine mm. if there is no diversification and, you know, the time comes where we're going into another revolution of even using everything electric, what will happen mm. to these countries? Mm -hmm. True, true, true. Yeah, it's very sad that um, one common theme around all of these countries mm. is that even though they are so rich, when you look at their hospitals, their schools, their public spaces, not much investment has gone on in there. And now we hear that, uh, well, Mozambique is also another place uh, where um, the government, <laughs> it's heavily relied on gas and uh, it thought it was going to get lots of income from these new gas fields. And what it then did, it ignored the people who lived near that uh, natural resource. And that's the decision that kicked mm. off the insurgency, which became so dangerous when um, a French giant Total was forced to oh, hold yeah. operations. Yeah. And Total feels like a common name <laughs> in Africa because <laughs> now they've gone ahead and signed an agreement with Uganda and Tanzania to drill oil in Uganda and mm -hmm. ship it to Tanzania through um, almost a 1,500 kilometer pipeline. Mm -hmm. So uh, it's worrying for me that um, all of these countries continuously depend on oil and gas and, uh, and all these resources. Even now, there are lots of conversations around 70% of Africa's, uh, you know, population or, you know, household rely on agriculture and all of that. Um, so it's just a few countries that have these resources, of course, we know in Africa. But uh -huh. do you honestly think there's a chance for African countries to really rely on agriculture and be able to get their economies still going? Is it far to attain to say that, let's get back to the basics and export coffee and get into agriculture and get our people understand that this is where our competitive advantage is. I guess my question should be, where is our competitive advantage? If oil is so fragile and these resources, where do we go back to? And is that attainable? Well, you nailed it. Uh, agriculture it is. Because one, we've got, uh, I think it was 60%, if I'm not mistaken, of uh, the world's arable mm -hmm. land in the continent. So that means we've got the capacity to feed the whole world. When you look at Europe, they have to import a whole lot of things, uh, a whole lot of tin food. And where do they import these things from? From Africa. Uh, you walk into Sainsbury and you pick up a packet of strawberries. You won't be surprised to find 
uh, imported from Zimbabwe or Ethiopia or wherever. So we need to push more on that. And for me, I actually feel that it's a cleaner way of uh, caring for the earth. Uh, because anything else that we're going to look into, whether it's um, minerals or oil or uh, yeah, any of such things, they are bad for the climate. Let's not beat about the bush. But for me, it's a dilemma. And again, yeah. I think it's a question mm -hmm. we can leave out there to our listeners. And it's a conversation we can visit even in the near future. Because if we are saying that the question is around being able to add value, to our resources. Mm -hmm. The oil, the only problem we have is that we, we cannot refine it here. We are exporting and importing it again. The minerals in Congo is the same thing. We are exporting and then importing a finished product. What makes you think mm -hmm. with agriculture we're going to add that value? Because again, we're going to need industries, factories that are able to process the coffee beans, that are able to process the agriculture products we are talking about if we are not able to do them now. If we have not been able to do that with the minerals and the, and the resources that we have, oil and everything, are we able to do that with the foodstuffs, the agricultural products we're talking about? Uh, most definitely. And I'll tell you why. Because um, a lot of the financing institutions, so the, like the big banks and all those guys, they are sort of moving yeah. away from investing in uh, fossil fuels, right? So they actually call them stranded assets where a bank invests in a project that uh, can then not pay back that debt. Um, mm. And so there's an increase in such kind of assets across the globe, let's put it that way. So this now has also influenced the world's biggest stock markets. Um, at the end of the oh, day, yeah. banks now need somewhere else to put the money. If we're able to fully develop our agricultural side, the banks definitely will be willing to participate in, uh, in such initiatives. These are opportunities now. I mean, for example, you mentioned that will we have factories to process the coffee and uh, the chocolates and all of those things. So these are now investment opportunities that are now coming up. And we're saying uh, somebody can put up something like that and get financing for that. And that's how agriculture is going to help all of us out. And uh, at the end of the day, um, government revenues will likely increase um, on the backdrop of agriculture. So I think that's where we're going to leave it uh, for today. Thank you so much, Maggie. I really appreciate And the team behind the scenes, as well as, uh, of course, you, the loyal listeners. Please remember to visit our website, mansamedia.africa, for more news. And also in case you missed anything during the week, as well as follow our social media pages, Mansa Media Africa on Facebook and Mansa underscore media on Twitter. Till the next time, I'm Dumi Jerry, years to peace and profits. The Weekly Beat by Mansa with your hosts, Arnold Segawa, Maggie Mutesi, and Dumi Jerry, giving you all the info on Africa's big finance and economic stories. The Weekly Beat by Mansa. Mansa.